I'm Scott. Just like Anthony said, I'm a discipleship coach. I try to help people gain perspective on their walk with Christ to overcome obstacles that they might be uh, experiencing in their life. And I'm going to start off with a, a little bit of a surprising statistic today. In, in 2010, in the, in the height of the, the recession, the, the economic bubble that, that our country went through, the amount of money that Americans spent on non-necessary cosmetic procedures was $10 billion. So in the effort to, to look younger, to, to maybe experience a little more vigor in life, $10 billion was spent. If you've watched any amount of TV in the last year or so, then you have seen the commercials for men with low T. Right? I wasn't even sure for a long time what low T was, but apparently men over 40 have it. And there are ways to fix it so that you can feel younger and you can experience more life. Scientists are trying to find ways to upload memories from your brain onto computers so that you can live forever. There is, a, there is a whole section of computer science called immortality research so that we can extend life. So the question that I want to start with this morning is, where do you find life? Where in a typical day or week do you find joy or meaning? Or what, what gives you just extra, extra energy? The, the verse that, that Nicole read uh, before, before the announcements ended with that we are to have life in the name of Jesus. So how do we respond to the, to the resurrection that we celebrated that last week? The tomb was empty. Jesus is alive. We, you probably said to each other, he is risen. He is risen indeed. What goes on next? How do you experience life in his name? Now, this isn't, this isn't normally how I structure a message. We're going to do a little bit of uh, hopping uh, around the, the Bible because I want to look at how uh, six people responded to Jesus. So just in case you're not too familiar with the Bible, the, the, it's divided Old Testament, New Testament. New Testament uh, tells us a lot about Jesus and, and the church. At the beginning of the New Testament, there's four Gospels. Okay, four stories of the good news of Jesus. They're written by four different authors. So you've got four different perspectives on, on what is important and what needed to be shared. There's four different audiences that are intended in the, with these four Gospels. So, so each of them has a different purpose. So if you've ever wondered as you're reading through why something that's said in Matthew is not in John and, and vice versa, that's part of the reason. Four different people wrote these for four different reasons. And where I want to start, actually, as we're exploring how people responded to Jesus, it is before Jesus was even crucified. The first person I want to look at is Judas. Judas was one of the original 12 that responded to Jesus called to, to, when he said, follow me. And he, he walked with Jesus for, for three years. But G, Judas, we know is the one who betrayed Jesus. 
He's the one that accepted money to, to reveal the location of where, where Jesus could, could, uh, could be found. So Judas didn't see the resurrection because he ended his own life. But I, I, I wanted to just say that Judas wasn't all that different from the other disciples before, before the crucifixion. The picture that we get painted uh, of the disciples is a group of guys who were arguing about who was going to be the greatest in the coming kingdom. They were having arguments about who was going to sit at the right and the left hand of Jesus. They, they were concerned. They thought they were following a man who was going to restore uh, Israel's independence. That was the kind of Messiah they were expecting. That's what they were hoping for. And that's what they were planning for with, with these questions. Judas, though, took it a little further. I think Judas was a little impatient that things weren't progressing fast enough. And, and so we read in Matthew chapter 27, 3 and 4, that after, after Judas... Uh, after Judas had accepted the money, when he saw that they were going to, uh, that they were going to condemn Jesus, here's what, here's what is written. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse. And he returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I've betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us? They replied. That is your responsibility. Was Judas greedy? Certainly. The, the Gospels record for us that, that Judas was someone that would actually steal money from the, from the, the, the pot that the, that the disciples lived from. But if his end game was to get wealthy from turning in Jesus, 30 pieces of silver, while a big amount for that day, was not, could not have been the end game. Judas, called, Judas was calling Jesus' hand. He was trying to get Jesus off the stoop and say, okay, we've been talking about this long enough. Let's usher in this new kingdom. And we see this in his reaction. When, when he sees that Jesus isn't going to fight back, that Jesus is going to be condemned, Jesus is going to die, he, he realizes, he comes to this, uh, this conclusion that I must have been just following another rebel. I must have been following just somebody else that was, that was claiming to usher in the, the new kingdom. But this Jesus character is obviously in over his head. And so he was filled with, with remorse. Here's the first part to finding life. And here's where we find Judas's struggle. Finding life starts with abandoning your self-interest. See, Judas had remorse. But he, but he didn't have repentance. J- Judas was still focused on himself, even when he was trying to, to give back the, the 30 pieces of silver. He was focused on himself because he was trying to fix the problem. And, and, and I think that is a tendency we all have. Right? We, we, we sin, we do something we know we shouldn't have, and then instead of immediately going to God, we say, well, you know what, if I just wait 24 hours and I'm good for 24 hours, then I can, I can approach God again. Then I'll be okay, then I'll be clean enough, and, and God will, will accept me when, when I come back. Our discipleship starts when we deny ourselves. And these are the words of Jesus. 
He says, if anyone's going to come after me, they have to first deny themselves. And for Judas, part of denying himself would have been begging for for the forgiveness of Jesus. An interesting question to think about is if Judas had come before Christ and bowed before him, said, I'm sorry, I I realize who who you are now. Uh, Will you forgive me? Do you think Jesus would have forgiven him? I believe he would have. I believe that there's no transgression that that Jesus would not be be willing to to forgive. But to ask that requires you have to deny your desire for self-preservation. We've made denying ourselves into something like, okay, I'm going to deny ice cream, or I'm going to deny fun things, or I'm going to deny, uh, you know, going to certain movies and, and, and things like that. And there, there's a certain edification to some of that. But denying yourself is, is a commitment to stop seeking life apart from God. So, as a response to the resurrection, what effort are you making daily to deny seeking wholeness apart from God. What steps are you making in in that regard? After Judas, another group of people that got paid, uh, we see in Matthew chapter 28. So the next next verse, the next group of people we're going to look at are these guys. There was a violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Now, again, the guards didn't see Jesus. But I think their response in this situation is worth looking at. The stone wasn't moved, by the way, so that Jesus could get out. Okay, so Jesus wasn't in there knocking like, hey... You guys, you forgot me. Well, I, I'm alive in here. Come get me. That, Jesus was gone. Jesus was, was rec- resurrected. He has his new body. Uh, we see a little later that he can walk through doors and things like that. So Jesus was not in the tomb. The stone was moved so that people could see in at the em- emptiness. See, these guards that were posted outside the outside this stone, they knew why they were there. They were posted there because the chief priests and the elders, this group that condemned Jesus to die, they, they remembered that Jesus, who they called the deceiver, said that after three days he would rise again. Isn't that really ironic? The, 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 this group that was dedicated to preserving their power, the, the chief priests and elders, they were the ones that remembered that Jesus was going to rise. The, the disciples, they're holed up. They're, they locked themselves in a room because they're scared and frightened. They forgot all about it. They didn't, they didn't even know. But see, it's interesting that these guards posted outside of the, outside of the, the, the tomb, when they are confronted with their weakness, how they react. They're so consumed with fear that they, they faint, they pass out. Finding life requires that each and every one of us admit our weakness. That, that we admit that we, we can't sustain ourselves. That there, there is so much to life that is out of our control that we have to, we have to trust and we have to, we have to submit to Jesus. That's part of finding life. You know, some of us, we respond to this idea that... that, that 
that, we, uh, that we're weak by trying to gain more control. Right? We grab onto control of the little things that we have. Maybe it's, maybe it's a control in a relationship. Maybe it's control in business or, or in the work world. Or maybe it's control over, over kids. But sometimes we respond to our weakness by trying to exert control in, in other areas. Others of us, we, we respond to this idea that we're weak by covering it up. I don't want to let anybody know that I have any weakness or, or, or any, any sort of uh, chink in my armor. I, I want people to see me as strong and having it all figured out. And th- these are the ideas of our relying on our own strength. And these, these guards, this was their profession, right? They, they made money because of their strength. And here they are when they're confronted by their weakness. They're, they're, they're laid out in front of the tomb. So now we've got this empty tomb. We've got these guards littered the ground. And, and without knowing what they were going to find, a group of women, they left the other disciples and they, they were going to the tomb because they wanted to pre- prepare Jesus' body with spices. Okay? They wanted to take care of, of, of Jesus' body. And in fact, as they're going on the way, they're wondering, how are we going to move this stone? They didn't know it had been moved. They weren't expecting the tomb to be empty. Maybe they were going to ask the guards to, to help, them, uh, help them open it up. And by the way, if you ever doubt the truthfulness and, and the veracity of the, of the resurrection story, here is somewhere that you can, you can plant a flag. The fact that it's going to be women that find the empty tomb, and the women that relate this. This, is, this shows you how differently in this time Christians viewed women over the rest of culture. They were seen as equals. If, if, they, if, if they were making up, if, if an account was being made up about the resurrection, it would not have been women that found the body. It probably would have been a couple of disciples strolling up confidently, finding the, finding the tomb empty, and reporting it that way. Because a, a woman's testimony wasn't even good in, in a court. So we see in John chapter 20, eventually, the women look around, they, and, and, and one of them, Mary, Mary Magdalene, who Jesus had cast demons out of, he'd, he had given forgiveness to, she sees a gardener, which... Another interesting thing, here's a woman in a garden, right? All of this started with a woman in a garden of Eden being deceived by a serpent. So in John chapter 20, this is what, this is what we read. Jesus said to her, Mary. So the gardener, who Mary thought was the gardener, turns out to be Jesus, and he calls her by name. And she turned toward to him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Jesus addresses Mary by name. When he was giving his parables and he was describing himself as the good shepherd, Jesus said that the, that the sheep will know my voice and they will respond to it. And when, and when Mary re, uh, realizes who it is and she's responding, she calls him teacher because that's who Jesus was to her. 
he was a, he was a great teacher. He had, he had offered her forgiveness. He had, he had treated her differently than, than anyone else had. And, and her natural response was to grab onto him. In one of the other Gospels, we're told that, that she grabbed onto his ankles as she said this. And, and Jesus allows that initially because Jesus wants to have intimacy. Jesus wants relationship. But he then asks her to, to let him go. He has, he has other things that, that he needs to do. Things are different now. He's not just teacher anymore. And she has to come into this awareness that he is, that he is more than just teacher. Finding life means releasing who you want Jesus to be. Finding life means that we have to recognize who Jesus is. C.S. Lewis is the author who wrote uh, the, the line, The Witch in the Wardrobe. wardrobe. He wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. And in, in the line, Witch in the, the Wardrobe, uh, as, the, as the, the characters, they're looking for, for the lion, Aslan. And, and uh, the, 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 the characters, I forget the, the kid's name, but they're, they're in with uh, Mr. Beaver is taking care of them. And... And when they're asking about who Aslan is, who is, who is Jesus in the C.S. Lewis story, the beavers respond that he is not a tame lion. Because C.S. Lewis knew what our tendency was. Our tendency is to box in who Jesus is. We want to tame him. We want, we want, to, we want to create a Jesus that we can, we can control Maybe, maybe we want to follow somebody who doesn't ask too much of us, that, that there's not too much change that has to, to come into to our, our life, that we don't want things to be too different because there's a lot of things that we enjoy about what we do and, and who we are. So we'd rather have, we'd ha- rather have a, a partner in life rather than somebody that we, that we surrender to or s- submit to. But see, Jesus, is, Jesus wants to be our source of life. He just doesn't want to be a part of our life. We, we shouldn't create a Jesus that serves us. The Jesus we follow should challenge us. The, the Jesus we follow should make us uncomfortable. Because we are, we are becoming uprooted from this world as, as we plant our root, as we center who we are, in, in Christ. And, and this, what Jesus is asking Mary to do is the pattern of, of all of our life. Okay, this, 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 this Easter weekend, death and then grief and then resurrection, new life, that is the pattern of all of our lives. We, we are to die to self. And there's going to be parts of that that are painful and there's going to be parts of that that are tough to, to let go. But in the process of letting go what, what was, that has to happen if we are going to step into to new life. Jesus related it this way, that unless a, uh, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, then new seeds can't come forth. So, so unless each of us is willing 
to, to die, the new life, the, the new life we have with the Holy Spirit, and as, as we uh, attempt to walk in and transform this world, that can't happen if we're not willing to, to die to ourselves. So Mary needed to release who she wanted Jesus to be. So after seeing the gardener, she, she runs back. She, she runs back to tell the others because, again, the disciples, they're locked in a room. Right? They're, they're scared. They think the authorities are going to come down on them because they killed Jesus. They're going to come and wipe out the followers uh, of Jesus as well. And when, the, and, and when Mary told everybody what she had seen, they didn't believe. And what we're told is that Peter and John, they ran to see the empty tomb. But we have another pair of followers to balance them out. And they begin to walk home after the Sabbath. We got these two guys, and they are on the, the road to, to Emmaus. They are going to take a 20-mile 20 mile, 20 mile trek to get back where, where they were. And so they're discussing this whole Jesus event and what it meant. Why, why, was, why did he die? What, what did it mean that, the, that Mary came back and said that the tomb was empty, that she had seen Jesus? And, and here's, here's where we're going to break into their story. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Well, again, this is another beautiful picture of wherever two or more are gathered in the name of Jesus, he is there with them. Right. So, so they're there, they're talking about Jesus, they're, they're trying to understand and figure out what, what this meant, why, why did they follow this man, they're disappointed, they're grieving. And Jesus is, comes up and is walking right alongside them. But we're told they're kept from seeing him. So, so what, would, what would keep them from seeing Jesus? Could, could they not see who Jesus was because of their disappointment? Were they, were they so discouraged that they could not see through their, the, see through their sadness? Were their, were their expectations so unmet or feel like they have wasted so much time that, that, they, that they couldn't even look up and, and recognize Jesus? And, and for these two, this was a problem of the heart. Right? They, they could not align with suffering. This was supposed to be victorious. Right? This was supposed to be overthrow. This was supposed to be something new and different for, for the nation of Israel. So they, they couldn't see Jesus through their confusion. Finding life for us means developing presence. Means being able to, to see the presence of God regardless of the circumstances. I, I have a pet peeve. I think I share a pet peeve every time I come over and, and talk. So you guys, uh, you guys know all the things that make me angry. So I'm waiting, I'm waiting at a red light. I, 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 was, in, I was in Winter Haven, and, and everybody else is going. It's green now. Everybody else is going, except for the person right in front of me. Uh, the, the, the person in front of them get about, gets about 150 yards ahead, and then the person in front of me starts to slowly go. And I'm like, well, what, what is going on? Are they having some sort of medical emergency? I don't know. And then, and then it happens again. So we finally get to a point in the road where I can go around. And I look over, and this person who is driving is staring straight at their phone. 
Okay, the phone is in front of the steering wheel. By the way, now I'm staring at her. So what does that say about me? But forget that for a moment. The phone is in front of the steering wheel. She's staring at the phone. And so she doesn't know whether to go or to stop in traffic. And and, and, and never once did she even look up. So I I fear for her uh, right at this moment. But again, that's a whole other issue. She had no sense of presence. And what what that woman was doing with her phone and how it was affecting her driving, I think we do with our lives and with God. We're so focused on other things. We're so focused on what it's going to take to make us feel good or to to find happiness or to find life our way that, that we don't see Jesus walking right alongside with us. We don't experience the presence of the Holy Spirit within us as we, as we are promised. Because we tend to compartmentalize our lives. Right? We're here at church on Sunday, so this, this hour and 15 or hour and 20 minutes is a spiritual time. And then we're going to go have lunch, and that's an eating time. And then I'm going to watch some TV tonight, and that's an entertainment time. And so we, we compartmentalize and don't realize that God is part of of the whole thing. God's presence is with us in all of these times. We are choosing not to sense that presence because we are focused on other things. So finding life means learning to be mindful of God's presence with you during every moment. How how are you open to God? Do you... Do you, do, you, do you read the word to hear what God's going to say to you or how he is in your life? Or do you read it just to get it done? How, how, how do you experience relationship with others? Are relationships pragmatics because you, you need something from it? Or is, is relationship an expression of our, our common humanity in being followers of Christ? Do you realize your interconnectedness with every person in this room? Anthony is going to introduce gospel partners for restoration uh, at, the, at the end of the service. The reason that, 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 that you go through that effort is so that everyone here will realize that these are new people that are committed to, to this church and we're all interdependent. This, this church doesn't rest on any one person. It rests on Jesus. But then no one person has more important role, more important mission because you're all partners in this. So when do, the, when do these two guys who are walking on the road, when do they finally realize that Jesus is with them? Well, if you read the story uh, a, little, a little further, this is in, this is in John chapter, uh, this is in, excuse me, Luke chapter 24. If you read the story to the end, you see that they invite this stranger to, to eat dinner with them in their home. And as soon as Jesus breaks bread, so as soon as they are experiencing the, the, the intimacy of being around the table and having that conversation, then they realize that it was Jesus the whole time. So when are you able to slow down and understand God's presence in your life? And if my saying this causes you anxiety or oh, I don't have time to slow down because I got X and Y and Z to, to do in my life, then, then go back to step one when we talked about Judas. If 
Finding life is about denying your self-interest. So these two disciples, after they realize that it was Jesus and Jesus is gone because he's got other people to appear to, they run back to Jerusalem. Okay, so they walked to Emmaus. They run back to tell the others. And when they, when they burst into the room and say, you're never going to believe who we saw, they're still met with unbelief. And it's at this point, while, while there's unbelief, that Jesus steps through the door, the locked door of this room. Jesus is initiating contact with, with, with this room filled with doubt. But even upon seeing Jesus, we're told that they think it's a ghost and they're scared and they're frightened. They have, they have all these doubts. And I'm sure Jesus is like, how many times do I have to appear to you people? Uh, I'm a little frustrated. But one person, we're told in the account, is not there. And this is John chapter 20. This is verses 24 and 25. Now Thomas also known as Didymus, one of the 12 was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So think of this. You're Thomas, you're hungry, you want some Cheetos, right? You're like, hey guys, anybody want anything? No. And he goes out to get Cheetos while he's gone. There's Jesus, right? And so he comes back. And uh, so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now, Thomas, throughout the next 2,000 years, gets this bad rap. He's labeled Doubting Thomas. Um, But let's just build up Thomas just a little bit here. In John chapter 11... When, when Jesus is saying, I'm going to Jerusalem, and his disciples are like, you're crazy, they're going to kill you, like, you're starting this revolution, why would you do this? Jesus says, I'm going anyway. It's Thomas who steps in and says, let's go and die with him. You know, Thomas thinks Jesus is on a suicide mission. He says, okay, I'm, I'm committed, I'm all in, so let's go, let's go die with him. So, so Thomas is not an uncommitted guy. Thomas... Tom, Thomas is a guy who who knew Jesus and loved Jesus, but he wanted to see for himself. And I I want to applaud Thomas for his honesty. At least he didn't put on the game face, right? And say, oh, okay, good for you guys. Uh, Rah, rah, you all saw Jesus and I didn't. And I think the reason that we dismiss dismiss Thomas is because he's too much like us, right? We, we, We say the same sort of thing that I'm not going to believe Jesus until my marriage is happy, right? I'm not, I'm not going to believe Jesus until I'm earning more money. I'm not going to believe Jesus until my kids turn out well and, and good and happy and, and whole on their own. And we, we put constraints on our, our fellowship, don't we? When something goes the way we don't want it, then we're filled with doubt. And Jesus, prove, prove me wrong. Step in. And, and part of finding life means that we are choosing to trust. Yeah, trust. Trust is an intentional choice that we make. To, to believe that God is who he says he was. That, that he has our interests at heart. And, and our, our, our difficulty, our inability to trust goes right back to, to the garden. 
right? What, what did the serpent say to, say to Eve when he was trying to entice her to do the thing God, God didn't? The, the serpent said, uh, did God really? Oh, God doesn't really want you to have this because he knows if you eat this apple that you're going to be like him. So the whole premise of the temptation was that the serpent was saying, God really doesn't have your best interests at heart. And we live with that. We live with that when things don't go our way. Well, God must not have my interests at heart. So I'll believe Jesus when this part of my life is rectified. Trust is gained through, through experience and, and through relationship. Trust is intentional. Trust is our taking that, that step to return the, the embrace that Jesus want, wants to give. He stands at the door and knocks. We have to choose to trust to open that door and to, to dwell with him. And this is, this is taking up your cross. You know, when Jesus says, you're gonna, anyone comes after me, if they're going to be my disciples, the first thing they got to do is deny themselves. The second thing we have to do is take up, take up our cross, which means we have, to, we have to carry our burden. Now, the great thing is when we commit to carrying that burden, it's light. It's lighter than it should be because Jesus carries it with us. So, so Jesus had appeared. Thomas had his doubts, uh, doubts cured says, my Lord and my God. And, and, and so a little while later, the, uh, Peter and six other disciples, they're in Galilee. Now, this is where Jesus had, a, he had told, told Mary to tell Peter to, and the other disciples, go to Galilee. So they're, they're where they, they needed to be. He instructed them. And, and we, we bump into to, to Peter in, verse, uh, in chapter 21, verse 3 says this, I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, well, we'll go with you. So they went out, got into the boat, but that night caught nothing. See, Peter had seen Jesus. Jesus had appeared specifically to, to Peter one-on-one. Peter had failed Jesus, right? We... He, he had denied Christ three times. It's, it's one of the memorable parts of the story. So, so Peter, I think, understood that he was forgiven. But I, I think Peter also, because it's our nature, felt like, okay, I messed up so bad that even though I'm forgiven, I'm on the sideline. Right? I'm not, I, I messed up. I don't have a role to play in what's coming next anymore. So now that I'm in Galilee, now that Jesus asked me to come here, I'm close to, close to what I used to know. Because Peter was a fisherman. I'm close to, I'm close to, to what is familiar and what is comfortable. So I'm just going to go back to, to fishing. And there's debate about whether this is, was Peter sinning or not. I, I, I don't know. Some people say, no, that's not a sin. The disciples had to eat, so he went out to fish. Others say... Peter getting in the boat is his desire to return to the old way of life, and so that was sin. I, I, don't, I don't know if it's sin or not, but what I do know is it was an, it's an indicator of his heart. Right? I can't be used after what I've done. And how many of us have felt that way? Right? I, I'm too much for God to save, or I'm too, I'm too bad for God to, to love, uh, so I'm just going to give up on the, on the whole thing. And so 
Peter returned to his old way of life. But this whole time, Jesus is part of this because he returns to his old way of life. And what, what happens when he spends the night fishing? Catches nothing. Right? Apart from Jesus, there is ineffectiveness in, in our life. And we see that Peter still has influence, right? Because he's there, he's going fishing. The other ones say, okay, Peter, we'll follow you. Okay, so, so Peter was still leaving, or excuse me, leading the other disciples. But when, when, when Jesus appears, we, we see the great love Peter has. Uh, he jumps out of the boat. He, he, he swims to shore because he wants to be the first. Uh, he wants to be the first to, to see Jesus. And, and here we get the picture of, of Jesus restoring Peter and inviting him back in and saying, you're not too far gone. My, my forgiveness just doesn't extend to what, what you did, but the forgiveness is you're still part of, of what is coming up. Those keys to the kingdom that I gave you a while back, they're still, they're still your keys to the kingdom. You're still part of this. And so in John chapter 21, verse 5, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Now, this is kind of a vague thing, right? Jesus says, do you love me more than these? So a lot has been written about what are these? You know, what, what, is, he, what is he looking at? And a lot of people think, do you really love me more than these other guys that you're with? Because it was Peter who said, when Jesus said, I'm, uh, I'm going into Jerusalem to die and, and all of you are going to leave me. And it was Peter who stood up and said, no, 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 you don't get it, Jesus. Even if every one of these other guys leaves you, I'm not going to forsake you. But we saw that that, that didn't happen. So, yeah, that, that, could, that could possibly be it. But I, I also think that it's possible that, that Jesus wasn't talking about people. He was talking about the, the nets and the boats and the, the joy of bringing the fish in. And I think that's why Jesus put Peter in proximity to his old life. He, he, want, he wanted to say, Peter, do you really want to go back to sitting in the boat or do you want to be part of what I'm going to do? And finding life, our finding life in the name of Jesus is about surrender. It's about, it's about surrendering what we think is important and where we're trying to find value or significance and our wholeness. It's about accepting that, that, that we are, that we're accepted by God, even in our complete unacceptableness, which I'm not sure is a word, but I'm using it as a word right now. Okay. That, that God loves us enough that, that Jesus came and died on the cross and experienced separation from, from the father and was, was raised to life. And, and the, the last thing that Jesus says to Peter is, follow me. So if anyone's going to come after Jesus, he has to deny himself. He has to take up his cross and then follow him because it's in Jesus that there's life. So surrendering is putting your whole identity, your whole who you are, your whole purpose for living in him. Not holding any part of your heart back. Not practicing self-protection and putting up walls between you and God and you and, and other people. 
And all of us go through some aspect of, of what each of these people went through in their response to Jesus. But what is, what is holding you back from finding life? Just going to reread the, 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 the verse that we started off with today from, from John chapter 20. It tells us the, the point. This was John's purpose in writing this gospel. So everything he includes was for, for, for this explicit purpose. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. See, I think the key, the key piece of evidence for me is, is I follow Jesus, that the, the resurrection was real, is the response of the disciples. You know, Peter left his nets, and he walked forth, and tradition tells us that he was crucified in Rome as he was proclaiming the gospel. And and these guys who had been locked in this room because they were afraid of what was going to happen to them when the the authorities came to get them, they left the room, and and they they proclaimed the name of Jesus to, to the whole known world. And it wasn't proclaiming his name to, to acclaim and to, to applause. It was to a world that didn't want to necessarily hear the message and reacted poorly to it. So the question I want to leave you with is what room are you still hiding in? Well, what is stopping you from opening the door and going out and living life differently? That, that, is, that is living a life that causes other people to see it and say, what's up with that? What, they're not finding value. They're not tied to the same things that everybody else is. They're not looking at their phones anymore. They're looking around at, at the world and, and finding a different source of life. What fear is keeping you from, from transformation other people will notice? Please pray with me. God, thank you so much for the the truth of the resurrection. If If Jesus is not alive, then we have nothing to believe in. So, Lord, I pray that we'll treat Easter as more than just a story and more than just a fun holiday, but we'll treat it as something that compels us to live our life differently, to, to put our faith on display, and to, to just make a change in this, this world that's so full of darkness and doesn't even know it. So God, I love you. We all love you. Thank you for, for the truth that you have left us with. In the name of Jesus, amen.